right. Well, welcome, everybody. Welcome to another uh, episode of Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Today, we've got Tony Hart. And um, Tony, would why don't you give us a little bit of your background? Tell us about yourself. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, so like Mike said, my name is Tony Hart. Uh, I am the IT director of a company called Ascentium. We are a 3D manufacturing um, organization, which means we manufacture industrial 3D printers. We um, create the plastic filaments that go along with them. And uh, we're also a Department of Defense contractor, which is a, a huge ball of hair for anyone out there that might also be a DOD contractor. Um, I came from the software development and MSP space, so managed service provider for those who may not know. Um, kind of cut my teeth in that realm, which gave me a lot of experience across a number of industries and customers starting out and ended up working for one of my customers, which is Ascentium. We, I was a, one of the account holders for this company, worked with them for a few years until they requested for me to come on board full time. And I've been here ever since, loving it and hating it uh, for a various number of reasons all along the way. But uh, it's a ton of fun and I enjoy learning and doing my job here. Isn't that too true about IT in general, man? Loving it, but hating it at the same time. <laughs> um, you know, when we were talking yesterday, um, you mentioned a book that you're reading with your team. So um, it's a great book. I'd like to hear a little more about that. And, and why are you reading this book with your team? And, and what's, it, what's it do for you? Yeah, sure. So the book that we're reading is called The Phoenix Project by Gene Kim and a number of other writers. Uh, it's, I would say, one of the most important books I've read in my IT career. I had one of my um, mentors and previous bosses recommended it to me. Uh, I read it and it just made so much sense the first time I read through. It's this allegorical book about uh, an IT director, or I think he was director of a smaller department within a large multi-thousand manufacturing company. And he got pulled up to be the main head honcho of an IT department for an organization that's just in disarray. Uh, so you get to experience firsthand through his account about what it feels like and kind of see the organization operate in disarray and then watch as he actually um, has an advisor himself and is working to improve IT operations and get the entire organization rowing in the same direction. So uh, in that book, you'll find that IT is treated uh, kind of like uh, an unfair um, stepchild, so to speak, of, in the organization. They're, they're not treated the same, and they get information last, and they are often putting fires out because of decisions made outside of their organization. And then they are blamed for everything that <laughs> doesn't work well. So if you ever, there's a comic out there that I like, which has someone asking IT, like everything is broken. Why do we even pay you guys? And then in the next frame, it's the same person asking the same IT individual, everything's working here. Why do we even pay you guys to do anything? And I'm like, yeah, that that's what it feels like to be in IT. No one knows what we do. We're blamed for everything, but never really recognized for the things we do well. Um, and it's just a story of how that 
feels so real <laughs> and the efforts and um, projects undertaken in order to get the organization back on track and for IT to provide value and be seen and understood by the organizational leaders. So it, it's very relevant um, and it introduces the concept of DevOps, if you've never heard of that, which is a really great concept. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a huge concept and it's so relevant to today because like within the book, one of the other things that they talk about is how they move from the monolithic project of, you know, we've, we've got to put everything into this thing and it's got to be perfect before we can release it. And it's a huge release that's going to take um, a huge time to implement, let alone test and all of these pieces of it before they can... Um, move on to the next part of it. And, mm -hmm. and the DevOps mindset is that minor adjustments, those quick minor adjustments, just like all of us get on our phones nowadays. You know, all of the different apps that we have, they're constantly releasing it and, and throwing out micro updates. And, and so that change from yesterday's um, huge monolithic version update to just the um, pinpoint updates that make a make huge changes in the um, delivery of the goals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so it's a lot about how do you create faster feedback loops to iterate upon what you've already released. And uh, there's also this concept around development, which is called atomic changes and atomic being the smallest change you can implement, which I really like that uh, kind of mentality, which is, just make a small change that slightly increases the value or you know makes the system better. And when you do a whole bunch of atomic changes, the entire system is improved over time. And it's easier to take a small change than it is a large change. And that's true with changes. That's true with projects. I think that's true within our own personal lives even, right? If you want to yeah. make changes at your house, it's easier to do you know, a small change Rather than um, okay, I'm gonna you know start this new workout regimen and stick to it five days a week, and I'm gonna do a huge diet. I'm gonna do all these things. They're like, hey, why don't you just start by going to the gym uh, once a week and see what happens, and, and just slowly improve. See, I I started with why don't I just get up and start walking a little bit, and let's prove that I can walk a mile consistently um, before I pay for that gym subscription that I'm going <laughs> to, you know, make sure that I prove to myself that I'm going to get up and make that little bit of a change today and continue mm -hmm. to do it tomorrow um, before I start to invest into it. Um, so, and, you know, one of the other concepts that was brought up in that book that I really enjoyed and, and I talked about it yesterday was just optimization anywhere but the constraint isn't. You know, mm -hmm. the, the fact that if if I make the order entry process better but but where the con or the constraint is is in the production of something all i'm going to do is increase the backlog at the production location because we've just started taking orders in faster so now all we're doing is making things worse in one sense we've got to find out where that constraint is focus on that and do that atomic change that you're talking about. But learning to figure out where that constraint is and getting all of the other groups that are involved in that, looking at that and working with IT to do this, it's such a relevant thing to today because so many people say, you know what, I've got this problem. 
um, here's the solution I see, go make it happen. And they just hand it to IT. And, and mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I always equate it to the Excel thing. Somebody comes to us and says, I need Excel to do this. And, and so, so often my, my help desk team or, or my team will grab that and go, oh, I can make it do that. And they run off and go do that <laughs> without ever asking why. Why do you yeah. want it? What's the goal? You know, what are we trying to achieve? And once they find out what the goal is, then they go, oh, that's already been done. There's a, there's a report for it. All you got to do is hit this button over here in this section of the software and, and the report's there. We don't have to go build anything, mm-hmm. but, but we get so busy running off and just trying to, to be helpful that we forget to leverage everything that we know. Um, yeah. So behind all of this is, is another concept besides DevOps, or, or it really ties into DevOps, and that's that business process management. And, and you mentioned that, that that's a, a real passion of yours. Um, let's, let's talk about business process management, because I think that's one of the largest things that, that we as IT leaders can help bring to the organization. Um, and it's not necessarily all IT. But IT, um, as we mature as an organization, if we don't have that business process management, we're running off building that Excel solution all the time. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, so I, I think you identified something that is so important in the IT space. So if someone comes to you and they say, hey, I've got, like, can you go do X, Y, Z? Like, can you go build or help my Excel spreadsheet do this? Or can you, you know, create a form that allows me to just intake this information or, you know, here's my solution. Let me give you my solution and then you go make my solution happen. And I think that's what can hold back a lot of IT individuals from excelling at their job, which is your goal of an IT provider isn't necessarily to meet all the solutions or provide the solutions that you're being requested to fulfill. The best thing you can do is understand how the business operates and ask a question based on the solution that they're requesting. So really, there's a great book out there called The Question Behind the Question. And uh, sometimes people you know, will ask you a question and then really you need to follow up with, well, what do you mean by that? What are you actually trying to accomplish? And I think that's true for solutions and questions. And so um, to delve into that a little bit further, if someone is asking you to create a solution, I think you should really ask what are, like you said, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? What pain point do you have right now that you're trying to solve? Because you as an IT individual often understand how all the technology systems support the organization. And even if you don't fully understand it, that's okay. Uh, you just need to understand what they're trying to accomplish. Because if you can understand what they're trying to accomplish, you can provide a solution which may even be a better fit for them and the entire organization and even easier for you to do. Because sometimes people will just ask you to do something and you're like, man, that's going to take so much effort. That's like a month worth of effort. And then you build it out for them and they're like, actually, this isn't what I wanted. And then you go into another conversation as to why it isn't what they wanted. And you're like, man, if you would have told me what you wanted in the beginning, this would have been you know, a quick change that could have been done in 15 minutes as opposed to this entire project that we built out. 
And, and so we end up spinning our wheels, trying to do the right thing. And oftentimes I can get caught in this where someone asks me to do something. I'm like, oh man, that's so cool. Like, I'd love to do that. Sounds like fun. Let's do that. And then at the end of it, we're like, man, that is, that was a terrible decision. Uh, we should not have done that. And so, like you said, the reason why I'm so passionate about business process management is because it's really understanding how the organization accomplishes work. So in the DevOps mentality, uh, DevOps really comes from this concept of taking lean manufacturing principles and applying it to development principles. So in manufacturing, you have an intake, kind of like a warehouse where you know materials and equipment comes in. Think of it you know, kind of like a workflow chart. On the left-hand side, something comes in and you have inputs and outputs. And so you go to one work center, you transform those materials a little bit, which then gets transferred to another work center. And it goes all the way across the manufacturing plant floor till it gets to the very right, which it gets put back onto you know, shipping containers or uh, trucks, and they get sent out to the customers. Now, processes work the same exact way. You have the start of a process or even a project, which is here is the information you need in order to start this project or process. And it goes from work center to work center. Now, those work centers are often technology work centers, as in technology itself. It could be Salesforce, it could be NetSuite, it could be applications. And then at each work center, you have what's called the four M's. You have the machine, which is the technology. You have the man, which is the person that actually does the work. You have the method, which is how they do the work. And then you have the measure, which is the measure of success. So machine, man, method, and measure. And the same is true for processes. In a process, you have the uh, machine, which is technology that is actually being used, the man, which is the person that's actually performing the work, and then the method, how they do it, and the measure for success. And if you create a process which identifies all of that information along the way, then you can quickly identify that, okay, well, in order to, let's say... Um, submit a purchase order or purchase request for uh, some product. Well, you need your inputs would be the information you needed. You go to some software, you fill out the details that's your machine and then and man, you they know how to do it, that's your method. And then it goes to the next person in the process and they know exactly how they should do it. And so you go step by step by step and understand how work is accomplished. And if we as IT individuals can understand how that happens in an organization, when someone comes to request a solution to you, or request a solution from you, then you can more easily provide an ideal solution by understanding how work is performed and how everyone's measuring that work and the technologies and how they work together. And so it's really just about understanding how value is created and how work is performed. And there's there was a couple of other things that I um, wanted to highlight that are hidden within all of that. So, like, without understanding how the solution that's been requested fits within the whole picture, 
Um, and if I go running after that thing, there's been so many times in my career where, you know, I, I learned this lesson kind of early on because I'd go create that solution that was requested just as requested. By the time mm-hmm. I got back to them, you, you mentioned it taking a month. By the time I get back to them, they're like, oh, uh, I figured a way around this because you were taking too long. I needed an immediate fix. So I found a way around the problem. So they, they come up with some other thing and, and all my effort was wasted anyway. Um, so I started to learn to ask what the goal was. And then I started to understand the business better. And as I started to understand at least that piece of it, then I could start to see the the pieces that you were talking about of how it comes into the warehouse and then moves across the floor, gets modified and, and becomes the end product that's then shipped out. Because um, so many of us get get the blinders on for our piece of that process. And, mm-hmm. and we're only concerned about, okay, what's the input for me? What's the output for me? And, and how do I measure my success within just this piece of it? But IT, we have to have that, that higher level view and watch the whole process. And because as, as we get solution requests for process one, it's feeding into process two. And we've got to make sure that it stays compatible um, mm-hmm. and that it helps optimize process two. Um, so it, it's such a huge piece to, to learn to ask that it's how we, it's how I learned to get out of just being one of the, one of the geeks and to understand the business, um, to be able to bring more value as you mentioned earlier, um, to the whole organization as a whole, um, because of knowing what, what the long-term goals are or seeing how optimizing step three is going to expedite things in step four. Um, and they don't even know what's coming yet. But then that's another piece of this is communicating that or, or bringing them in so that they see what's going to happen to their workflow when step three suddenly gets optimized. Mm-hmm. So, um it's, it's such a fun thing. What what challenges have you run into trying to implement business process management? Because I know I've spent the last year and a half trying to bring that into our organization and trying to add that and get people to adhere to it. And and people like some people like the chaos of just you know what I want this make it happen. Um, and others understand the the process or the need for the process or they see it once it's happening, but until they see it in, in work or until they see it working for them, they're, they, they just don't. So, um, what, what challenges have you run into? What, tell me about some of the successes or, or the uh, challenges. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think some people love running around with many fire hydrants in their hands, putting out fires. I think they like working that way. And not that that is necessarily a bad way to work. If if people like working that way, then, you know, I guess more power to them. Um, So long as everybody else is okay operating that way. And with the understanding that you're going to hit a ceiling on how much work you can intake working that way. If you want to be a small mom and pop shop, feel free to work that way all day long. If you want to be, uh, you know, less than a hundred employees or less than a certain amount of revenue, this is all depending on your industry. 
the employee size. It, it's all about the complexity of the work that you perform, really. Um, if you want to work that way, you can. And I think that's going to be a challenge that you face if you're trying to increase the overall output of an organization, because in order to do something, you're going, in order to do something you've never done, you're going to have to change the way of which you worked. So if you want to accomplish more, you can't keep doing the way you do things now. And so you're going to encounter people that like working the way that they work today, and they're not necessarily going to want to change. And the way that I have found implementing business process management works well for me is finding those individuals or departments or teams that are either one, really willing to change because they see problems and they're wanting a solution. So basically strike where the iron is hot. Who's willing to take on some of these projects and try things out? Um, I think that's the best thing to do. Or two, systems that may be, or maybe even departments or projects that may be new undertakings. So they don't know how to work yet because they haven't, hasn't been established yet. For example, we're starting up a new business unit, which is more of a service bureau 3D printing environment. People can submit their files and we print it for them and send it to them. So they don't need to purchase our 3D printers or configure a 3D printing farm. They can just submit the files to us and we charge per product. Um, so that's a new business unit. And I'm working directly with them to establish solid business process management in the beginning because we're setting the foundations. But for many of us, we don't have that opportunity to establish the foundations of work from the beginning. So I would say strike where the iron's hot. Uh, work with those who are willing to make changes now, even if it's a small team, show and prove how this helps increase work uh, output through the entire system. And then just like use it as a sales platform. Like, hey, we successfully did this here. This was, you know, the case study for them. Then let's go work with somebody else, sell them on this thing, and then see if they're willing to do it. And that, that I would say, just start small and move forward. Um, and if you can get some executive backing, absolutely do that. Sell the idea to the leadership first because it is a change in culture. Culture is just the way in which we work with one another. And so it's going to be a culture change in your organization and realize that you're going to have a lot of people who don't want culture change. And so getting some executive backing and sponsorship and some key personnel on your team is really important to do that. It is. I mean, it, it, within my team, we're we're around fifty people in, in our IT department currently, um, and as we started to try to implement more of these processes and really get rigid about these processes, the uh, I like to call them the cowboys. You know, the ones that want to be the the superhero. They they show up to fix the problem. Here I am to save the day. You know that that here just move. Let let me sit here. Those, those mm -hmm. kind of people versus the ones that say, okay, I want to walk you through this process so that the next time you run into this, you can fix it yourself and you don't need to call me. Um, so the, yeah. those, the, the hero type individuals have a hard time moving into these processes. And, and, you know, I, I already had a large established team of heroes and, mm -hmm. and trying to get them to get into a methodology of 
trying to churn through these things and, and set this process. It's it's been a it's a huge change in culture. And, it is. and trying to recognize that and work with that has been interesting. Um, so, and trying to change culture, you know, how often, how often do you hear change of culture and IT together? <laughs> Not you very know? often. Yeah, yeah. but it, it, it's critical to how we can work and how we advance and how, how I can become a better IT leader by understanding that culture, by helping create that culture and foster the correct cultures that, that you know, I, I want to say it's a movie quote, but, and it's a SEAL team thing, slow is steady, steady is fast. And mm-hmm. how, you know, trying to, trying to get people to believe in that and, and get into that, that churning of, all of the things that we're trying to accomplish because we can stay in the chaos and just continue to try to fight that. But you're, you're so right in that you hit a ceiling. You're either going to hit a financial ceiling or you're going to hit a productivity ceiling or you're going to hit um, burnout because you're mm-hmm. always running around trying to fix everything and, and it's chaotic. And, and sometimes it feels great to be able to be a hero within the chaos but if you can calm the chaos down and get everybody, as you said, rolling in the same direction, it, mm-hmm. it's huge. And especially if the whole organization does it. Um, but but trying to drive that as as the geeks in the corner or the, or the nerds in the back room is it's it's been an interesting challenge. Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to circle back to the point you talked about with Cowboys. Uh, which I, for anyone out there who's really good at their job, that is very intelligent, can understand the problem very quickly and understand what the solution should be and jump in and you solve the problem um, without helping other team members understand how to also solve that same problem. I'll say that you're shooting yourself in the foot. You are making it so that you are both invaluable to the organization and you're showing high value, but also you'll never be able to take a vacation. You'll never be able to scale your team. You won't be able to be a team leader because you are the hero or what the kids are calling you. You have main character syndrome here. You think that you are the main character. And (laughs) if you want to work in an organization that is trying to accomplish something together, you can never be a main character. Everybody supports one another in order to become a unified organization. And so the best thing you can do is, yes, solve that problem. And then also ask yourself the question, how can I remove myself as the constraint? Because if you're the one solving all the problems, you made yourself the constraint. Only people People only rely on you. People go to you for the answers. People go to you for the solutions. You can't hand it off to anybody because no one else can do it. They're not smart enough. They just don't get it. So you ha- you are in a unique position and ask yourself the question, how can I help other people learn? And oftentimes, it's through documentation. And And I know everyone hates documentation. Everyone hates writing documents. But it's really, how can you disseminate the information in your head to other people and empower them to solve their own problems. And if you can do that, 
you'll be more valuable to the organization than you are today because you're creating a team and a culture that can operate without you. And you will likely be put in positions. And in fact, I I would encourage you showcase what you've done to bring value to the organization because that'll put you in a better position for leading the team in the future. And that's talking more on the management side. We can get more into the technical side if you want. So it also depends career-wise what you might be looking for if you want to be a manager versus a technical solutional uh, provider. Well, and, and even within there, you if if I become, and, and um, back to the culture and changing things, you know, I, I've got it up on my board over here and, and we were reading um, a book, Leading Change. And... Um, one of the the latter chapters in that one was um, changing the culture. And um, the culture that I've put on my board that I need to change is the only one. Uh, he is the only one who knows how to fix my problems. And and if I'm the only one, and you were just talking about this, you know, back to the, the cowboy syndrome, the main character syndrome. <laughs> I love that because I've heard that. Um, the if if I'm the only one, then I can't grow. I can't get past this because they keep pulling me to that specific thing. So if I don't teach anybody else how to handle that, how to take that from me, and how to, um, and if I don't have that solution spread out amongst more people, then when do I have time to grow myself? When do I have time to learn something new? When do I get new challenges? Because they keep pulling me back, and I can only solve these problems. Um, so it's it's huge to get away from that main character syndrome, um, and and it will help you not only within IT, but if you do have a desire to get into any kind of leadership, whether it's IT leadership, whether it's um, the the lead developer, whether it's mm-hmm. becoming a manager or a director or a CIO, CTO, CISO, you know, uh, any of these roles, you've got to be able to um, delegate and teach others. Because if you don't, you're only, again, that ceiling that we were talking about, you're going to get to a certain level and never be able to progress more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I think that reigns true for people as much as it does organization. Uh, If you can't uh, take that information and empower others to do their job effectively, then like you said, you'll reach a ceiling either in your career as an individual or as an organization. If you can't empower other people in your organization to accomplish without you, then again, you're the dependency. And so they won't be able to. What's the character's name in the book in Phoenix Project? I think it's Brett. Uh, Brant. Okay, Brent. Brant. Yeah, he's he's the main character, at least in his world. And and it was they'd spent so much effort trying to free him up so that he uh-huh. could actually do what he was really good at. But he was so mm-hmm. stuck and mired in fixing everybody else's problems that that they would give him a task and he couldn't focus and get that task done. Because he was the only one, and everybody mm-hmm. kept saying, "I need him. I need him to fix this, and I need him to fix that, and I need him." So they had to they had to get him a second, a junior, and he also had to let go of those things. He had to he had to recognize that he could provide more value moving forward than staying where he was, solving everybody else's problems. Absolutely, and it definitely required 
everyone to understand the problem that it's not that Brent was better than everybody else, uh, although he was able to solve problems. He just understood it a little bit better and he was not taught or trained on how to provide that information so other people can do the job as well. And yeah, exactly right. It took management uh, some looking at the situation to understand it to then create an environment allowing them to do that. So that's the other problem because as soon as you, right, you do the work today and this is the difference between I think reactive versus improvement is we need to fix problems today, but it takes more effort to improve the way of which we work today, right? You can either do the job or you can plan and do. And planning and doing requires more effort. And so the question I would pose you even is how do you move from reactive uh, which is you've got 40 hours in a week. Uh, many more of us work beyond that. I understand that. But you've got 40 hours in a week. Um, then if you're spending all 40 of those hours reacting to work, how do you even make time to improve things? So what does that look like? And the book talks a little bit about that, but I'd love to hear from you, Mike. Uh, what have you done to improve your team's work and, and what's that look like? Oh, man. Well, it's... Like like you've mentioned, it's there's there's that building of the process um, and documentation, and and the the documentation and just trying to spend a lot of time as the team looking at okay how can we become better what what do we need in our processes to be able to handle these things better. So, you know, we started off and and kind of designed the team with, um, okay, here's, here's help desk. And then above and beyond help desk is support and maintenance. And, and what, what is the definition of these and how are we working with these? And then development and what does development mean? And, um, you know, trying to provide those roles, trying to provide um, the the methods that those roles or those, you know, I, I'm trying to look at the at part of our, our the notes that are written from our discussion earlier, and um, trying to define that work and get people to stick to those processes, so that um, we get out of that main character or hero syndrome and running off and doing things i i it you make me or i feel the need to talk about shadow it within chat or within it so i've got team members who go off and and have in the past created solutions and not communicated that to any of the rest of the team so as we're working on a process and we're trying to refine this we suddenly discover this this thing that one of us built and never communicated to anybody else. And, mm -hmm. and so there's code out there that's not saved in a repository that nobody else knows that doesn't, uh, we have no documentation on and, you know, <laughs> you're shaking your head and going, Oh my God. <laughs> and, yeah. And it's, um, you know, I, I've got a, another leader right behind me and, and I'm, our methods are so different because I, I came up from, okay, what do you need? What's the goal? Let me go help you. And, and they're going, wait a minute. 
what's the process? How are we going to achieve this? And you know, they're they're much more structured, and they 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 truly kind of grew up um, embracing DevOps. Where you know, I've been in this position for twenty years, and DevOps is a new proposition to me. You know, DevOps mm-hmm. is something that showed up in oh, God. When did it show up? Eight years ago, and and kind of really embraced in the last five years. Um, it may be longer, but but that's those are the times that that. Come on, I I come back from the the days of I learned how to program with structured programming and object oriented was the new thing. <laughs> um, so uh-huh. you know the the world that I started out in has changed radically, and and the speed with which we need to process things. Um, <laughs> What what have we done to to make the process better? There's so many little things, um, but but I think it's trying to define that process and adhere to that process and communicate the value of that and show that because I can talk about what the value is, but until I can show that, it, it's hard for some people to understand, especially when we start talking. Um, the geek level, and we start talking about DevOps. You know, most mm-hmm. of the non-IT people, you start talking about DevOps, and they're just like, and their eyes glaze. And you know, mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. It, you mentioned something about you, your wife's involved with technology, so it sounds like you can go home and talk to her about about <laughs> your day at work. And my wife has no desire to hear about any of the technology that I dealt with. Now, if I came home and talked about all of the politics and and any of the mm-hmm. um, issues that I was dealing with that way, she'd be in. But but I'm always focused in on the the how do I fix this? How do I fix this? How do I make this better? It one of my innate needs is to solve the puzzle. And I, mm-hmm. I I like looking at that, and and one of my gifts is being able to see five steps ahead. And and recognize, um, okay, if we do this, we're building a foundation that will allow for that in in two weeks. Um, oh man, it's hard yeah. to put to words the exact changes that we've done within our culture to try to change these processes to get more into a DevOps mindset across the whole group. Yeah, and yep. to be able to show what we're doing. Um, so I, I want to oh, introduce man. some concepts here. Yeah, you've talked about a lot, and I think I think a lot of people uh, feel that. You know, it's like, man, everything feels chaotic, and it's also hard to put words to things that we've done. When someone asks you, like, "What have you done in your job?" and you're like, "I've done so much, but I have no idea." Like, you ask me, and I'm like. It just feels like I've done everything, but I can't articulate exactly what I've done. Um, so I, I want to introduce some concepts from the book. There's one uh, about work. So there's planned work versus unplanned work. If you want to hear more about planned work, uh, go read about it. But the the thing about it is unplanned work, uh, also called anti-work, is something that we need to learn to get away from, which is all the firefighting. And there's this quote that I think many people might relate to from the book. So I've even sent this quote to people within the organization, even though it comes from the IT side of things, they relate because they understand the feeling. Uh, So 
I'll, I'll read the quote. Uh, it says, unplanned work has another side effect. When you spend all your time firefighting, there's little time or energy left for planning. When all you do is react, there's not enough time to do the hard mental work of figuring out whether you can accept new work. So more projects are crammed onto the plate with fewer cycles available to each one, which means more bad multitasking, more escalations from poor code or problems, which means more shortcuts. And as Bill said, around and around we go. It's the IT capacity death spiral. And I think a lot of organizations experience that where we don't know what we're committed to. We say yes to the thing that's put in front of us. We're not tracking a lot of the work and we're continually just feeling overwhelmed and unproductive because we're just reacting and responding. And so unplanned work is the worst kind of work that we can do because the best thing we can do is plan our capacity, uh, schedule that, hey, this is how much time I'm going to spend on these projects. This is how much time it's going to take to complete these projects. Therefore, if I have, if this project's going to take 200 hours, then, and I only have one person available to work on it, if I send them on there full time, it's going to take at least, you know, a, a month and a half to complete it. Uh, it's like, now take that across all these other products that we do and management doesn't understand or see all the work that's being done. So it's invisible. And I think the the question I'd asked is how do we improve it? And it's really the hard mental work required to schedule and plan and understand. So it's turning invisible work visible. Often we do that with a ticketing system. Someone asks you to do something, okay, open up a ticket. That, that's why we say that. Because if you don't open up a ticket, I'm going to forget and I'm not going to work on it. And I don't know how much time I put against this ticket. Therefore, I don't know how much time it's consuming in my work schedule. And so really, I hate time entries, by the way. Uh, they're so <laughs> cumbersome and burdensome, but they're so valuable. It's kind of like I hate budgeting my finances. I just want to go spend money. But I practically really need to budget because we only have a finite amount of resources to give. That's true with our time. That's true with our finances. That's true with our mental capacity. If You, you should only have a certain number of projects active on your plate today because you only have a certain amount of mental capacity that you can hand to each one of those projects. And when you overload your mental capacity, you start going into what is called technical debt, which is you have all this debt that you incurred about not upgrading that system because I was going to upgrade it. But then someone told me I had to go work on this project last minute because they didn't tell me they were working on this thing. And this system is down. And suddenly there's all these things that we were supposed to do that we didn't do that we now have is debt, which is uh, putting a burden on the entire organization. And I would say that's true for financial resources in your personal life. That's true with work debt in your organizational life and planning things out. It's really identifying what is pulling us down. A lot of it comes from unplanned work and to extend the analogy, unplanned spending. Where are you spending your time or where are you spending your resources? And and this is not you know, we're we're breaking out of the IT world here. This is not just an IT issue. This is mm -hmm. a across the board. This is this. Uh, these are some of the life issues. <laughs> um, and you know what? That that unplanned work that is. So back to 
<laughs> so many of the, the things, so many of the things. Um, so unplanned work, documentation, mm -hmm. scoping, mm -hmm. project planning. You know, nobody wants to spend all this time defining what are we going to do? Look, we, we've got the goal. We know what we want to achieve. Make it happen. Just go, mm -hmm. go. Don't bother me, kid. Don't don't ask the questions. But but if we don't ask those questions ahead of time, then we don't get a, a proper scope. We don't have a proper plan. And we end up doing all kinds of rework and unplanned work. So, mm -hmm. you know, the unplanned work is one thing. And then the rework is a whole nother thing because half of the time the unplanned work turns into rework because we weren't communicating in the beginning to figure out what the the actual plans were and we weren't looking at the different scenarios and and then time entry oh man that's that has been one of the largest changes in culture that my group had to go through you know i we we had the tools and it used to be that you know we had send in a ticket send in a help desk request send in and and we'd get all of those but we weren't tracking the time against them so mm -hmm. we saw all of the issues and we could tell you, hey, you submitted it this day. We fixed it that day. What's the problem? Now, we didn't track how much time was spent on it. So now with those time entries, we can take and look and say, okay, these are the largest time consumers for this organization or for this product or this, uh, this project. Or uh, we have a better idea of that that scoping of that being able to being able to guess that it's going to take 200 hours to complete a task um you, if you don't have that definition of work if you don't have the definition of what you're trying to achieve planned out step by step that 200 hour guess it's going to take two weeks you know <laughs> the the builder guess every everything it's going to take two weeks so we'll we'll get that done in two weeks uh -huh. Yeah. If we're allowed to focus on it, um, if we knew exactly what we were doing and um, how late are we going to work and how, you know, how many extra hours are we going to put in during that, that two weeks to shove mm -hmm. 200 hours into, into 80. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, oh. yeah, no, that that's, yeah, I hear you. That's, that's absolutely true. Um, and the whole estimation on time, I mean, Humans are terrible at estimating long-term, period. Doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> there, there's some law out there. I forget what it is, like some concept, which is uh, no matter how much time you estimate it's going to take, it will always take longer, even accounting for that concept. And so if you say, well, this usually take, you know, I think it's going to take two weeks. And so we'll double it to four weeks. Well, since you said it's going to take four weeks, it's now going to take six. Like that, that's the kind of mentality that's out there so yeah tracking tracking time and getting some real numbers especially on so the way that i work in my it department uh we've got three different types of work we've got tickets projects and service requests so tickets simply means we have no idea how long it's going to take because we don't know what the solution is uh, we have to figure that out projects are it's uncharted territory it's something new and so we can create estimations and the company knows that okay we're going to provide the best information we know possible but we don't know for sure cuz it's uncharted territory and then a service request is a process it's a predefined amount of work 
We know who all is involved, all the steps required. And so we've tracked how much time it takes to complete those steps. So we provide better estimations based on people's availability. So if you submit, you know, an onboarding request, we say, hey, this is going to take about, you know, three hours of IT time to of, of touch time to complete. Now, this is the difference because there's touch time and there's lead time. Because if you tell my IT department three hours before this person starts that we're onboarding them, we're not going to have their stuff ready. Sorry, HR and hiring manager, they won't have a computer. Just because it takes us three hours doesn't mean we have three hours available right now. And so there's this concept of lead time, which is how long will it take for this person to actually start working on the problem or working on the solution after it's been submitted? Uh, and that's really important for, I think, turning unplanned work into planned work because they can submit the request. We not we you know we may not be aware of it right now. Something that might be unplanned last minute actually needs to be scheduled and prepared for. So how do you take unplanned work and turn it into planned work? Which is why we go from a ticket to a project to a service request. Tickets, if we see there's a specific issue, then we try to turn that into a project to solve the core problem. Or if there's similar requests being sent through that we do all the time, why don't we just make that a defined process, document how to do it, and turn it into a service request so we can get better clarification. Then we have standard operating procedures on how to perform each one of those service requests. So if my guy that does network infrastructure stuff is out of the office that day, but he's got six service requests to upgrade uh, switching uh, there's the switches and we need to switch over some VLANs. If he has an SOP on how to do that, because we do it all the time, then I can step in and do it on his behalf uh, because he's out and, and he can have his day off and not worry about those things. So, yeah. yeah Enjoy anyway. a true day off. Set the phone down and and... <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, and just scroll on the things that he wants to scroll on versus answering the calls and 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 doing work remotely. Yeah. Um, exactly. Oh man, yeah. And so one of the other things is protecting that the the lead time and the actual time too, because that's that's one of the other struggles that I've had within our organization is mm-hmm. you know we we allocate that three hours that you're talking about for onboarding somebody, but if if we keep pulling them off to do something else because somebody else is screaming a little louder because there's more pain, there are times where that is the right move is to mm-hmm. pull them off of whatever they're working on and go put out the fire. But if yep. you can if you can reduce those sudden outbursts um, and you, there's times where we have to protect the work that we've got planned. We've got to protect Absolutely. the plan so that we can achieve those goals. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I typically try to go around an hour with these things, and and we're starting to approach that hour. So I wanted I want to switch the tenure or the tenor of the um, the conversation a little bit more, and and I want to hear a little bit more about what it's like working with the in the 3D print industry because I haven't talked to anybody that's done this. <laughs> and so tell me a little more about that or tell me some of the the stories. What's you know when when somebody says what do you do and and you want to explain it but you're you've had a couple of drinks and you want to talk about something that was fun or challenging or what's one of those stories, man? What's what's something that oh, you've based? Gosh. Um, 
Let's see. So I, I work IT operations. Uh, we have a separate development team that's dedicated to the actual industrial 3D printers. Um, so I, I actually step more into the information security role uh, or cybersecurity role for those particular devices. So, you know, I'll perform pen tests on them. We'll do vulnerability scans and things like that. Um, but one, <laughs> I guess it may not be as fun because I'm, I'm not an engineer. I'm not involved in the 3D printing side. Uh, but one of the, the crazy things we had to do was because we're a Department of Defense contractor, we have a lot of regulations that we need to uh, follow and a lot of cybersecurity controls we need to input. And I think one of the biggest things for me that was just crazy was we we got a contract uh, and and we didn't end up winning the contract or moving forward with the contract, which honestly, thank God, because <laughs> it was just so stressful. But but the way that my because we're a startup environment, right? So very much what you might experience in a mom and pop shop or startup. It's like, hey, there's this new thing. Suddenly, everybody's efforts need to be focused on this thing because it's highly important. Uh, and I was unaware of a project that was going on until they were like, hey, we actually need to put a you know bid in on this and actually start moving forward and prove out that we can do this contract uh, in the next three and a half weeks. And that required building an entire new defined process of exactly how we do it, make sure all the controls were in place. Uh, so it's a lot of aerospace type prints and we have to make sure that we retrieve the data securely. So there's a thing called CUI or classified uh, uncontrolled information. So basically it has a stamp on it saying only people that can access this are approved individuals from an organization that are United States citizens. And this data can't touch any uh, soil except for U.S. soil. And we're very cloud-centric environment. And so we have a lot of SaaS applications, a lot of deployments. And I can't actually, at the time, I couldn't dictate whether it was touching U.S. soil or not, because I'm like, well, if we put it in Salesforce, I don't know where that server is. And so suddenly I have to like put in all these new systems within three weeks uh, just to get everything up and running. And I'm like, yeah, that so that's more what happens to me uh, on the that side since it's startup and new and they're always wanting to try new things. It's very okay, here's the problem. How can we provide how can you provide a solution immediately today that meets all these requirements and even some requirements they're not aware about that I need to go find myself. Um, so that's more what I'm involved in. Uh, although I do because our, my company's really cool. Uh, we do a thing called 3D Thursdays, which means every third Thursday, we get to go into the office and we have about 100 or so industrial 3D printers that are like set up and everyone can just print whatever they want. Uh, it's just have fun. You work, if you, We use SolidWorks for some of our stuff. We'll also use um, AutoCAD or you, know, you can really use whatever you want. But people will have their own um, setups where you can go be a part of a class that day if someone chose that they want to teach on 3D slicing or how to do post-processing or whatever else. So it's just a fun day to get everyone into the office and do some cool prints. Uh, people have printed things for their trucks and cars and things people have printed like practical, you know, storage unit stuff or storage components for their office space. Or some people are printing like RC cars uh, just for fun. Um, and so yeah, that's a fun thing that we get to do. And 
a nice perk of the job, just learning 3D printing and slicing. Wow. Um, yeah, I can't imagine having that access to that and being able to just go print whatever. What kind of materials are you printing with? Is it always just kind of the uh, the um, the resin that, or are there? Yeah, yeah. So we have. If you go to our website, uh, we have all sorts of. 3D filaments. Um, so there's your typical, I think, PCTG is what it's called. I'm not too familiar with all the terms, but there's the classic plastics that everyone prints from. But we also, one of our business units is creating unique plastics because aerospace requires very unique type of filament. So there's this one cool filament I like, which it's a plastic that has a lot of aluminum properties or aluminum for everyone else in the world that's not U.S., uh, so to the point to where you could drop it and it sounded like aluminum, uh, it was very, very cool. So we'll also create specialized filaments that have never been created before just for our customers in specific environments. So a lot of times we'll have people creating new filaments as part of that. And then, well, the filament that didn't go right, didn't pass our quality assurance checks. And But it's good filament, just not perfect for the use case. So then it's free filament spool for just someone else to go pick up and use in their home space uh, if they want and test out new things. So we've done, you know, all sorts of different types of filaments. I've got probably like $1,000 worth of filament sitting in my uh, garage with a 3D printer in there just because, well, we couldn't sell it. And so it was part of the R&D cost. And now I'm like, oh, I could use that for this project. So I'll just take it. and. That's just part of the culture. It's wow, it's a perk. Kinda, that sounds like fun. I mean, I, like uh, one of the things that pops into my mind is you know having a drone and having the different propellers and using that kind of filament for those, so that when you bounce into something on accident, um, <laughs> that <laughs> that, uh, that they survive and they they don't get the dents and dings and and then um, so what is the 3D project that you've created for yourself that you're most proud of? Um, let's see. I often don't really print much myself. I, I much prefer doing software development. So I'll go in on the 3D Thursdays, hang out with people, see what they're printing. And I do more software development. But I do have a huge desire to 3D print either a master chief suit for myself or an <laughs> iron man suit that's that's my dream i told my wife about it and she's like you've got so many other projects going on in the house you got to finish those first like i've got a motorcycle sitting in our garage that's my granddad's it's like a 1976 you know bmw cafe racer uh and then i've got some woodworking projects that you know we're, we're doing in the house and she's like you can't do anything 3d printed related in the house. That's why I've got all the filament sitting in there. She won't let me use it. Uh, so it's it's waiting for me to complete all my other projects before I get to move on to that. Um, uh, yeah. Sounds like you need a little bit of a process at home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've got a lot of projects sitting at the 85 to 95% complete mark. Uh, and they've been there forever. Oh, man. <laughs> I just need to go finish them out. So, um, Talk to me a little bit about your entry into IT. What, where was your intro, and and what what sucked you into this world um, versus you know being a starting off as a business process manager and just going in and working 
with that, how, you know, um, actually, I've, I've been wanting to bring this up throughout the whole call, and I didn't really have a chance until now. One of my prior interviewees said that they thought that one of the best things anybody in IT could do is working for an MSP. Um, mm -hmm. Because you get such a broad experience across multiple organizations that it, it helps broaden your your view of of IT in in general. But so, kind of two questions here: what what sucked you into IT, and and what are your thoughts about that MSP experience? So yeah, great question. So I went to Baylor uh, for. At first, as a biology major to be a doctor, uh, I did that because my mom really wanted me to be a doctor and my family was in the medical space, still is, a lot of them are. And so I was like, you know, I'll give it the good old college try. And after a year, I was like, I hate this so much, I can't do it. So then I actually went to be a business major. Uh, I went into the business school, uh, spent a semester there, bored out of my mind. I think that's what kept me from pursuing that. I was like, this is all common sense. I don't know why. And I joined in on some MIS intro class and it was terribly named. It was basically just Excel. Like it's just Excel and that was it. And I'm like, this is terrible. Like I know how to, at that point in my career, I had four years experience in Java from high school projects. And I was on part of a competitive computer science team. And I love, I started a, you know, a website development business in high school and had experience in the terrible language of PHP, as well as the typical HTML and CSS. I hate PHP. I'm never going to touch another line of code. You couldn't give me enough money to do it. But anyway, so I got into business school. I was... Software I development, it. I just, but hate programming. Okay, keep going. <laughs> no, I hate PHP. I love programming. <laughs> I just hate PHP. Um, so anyway, I, I landed in computer science because I had experience. And so I, I did that, really enjoyed it. Um, ended up joining a nonprofit organization uh, because I wanted to volunteer there. And I volunteered my time as uh, we did some overseas support efforts for the Syrian refugee crisis back in like 2016. If you remember the Syrian refugees fleeing and going into um, Europe and all throughout Europe. Uh, so joined that, did some work for them. Um, enjoyed that. They asked me to come on uh, come on board uh, full time. I did that for a while, and then eventually applied to be a software engineer for another software company based on the IT director's uh, recommendation from the nonprofit work. They did not hire me uh, <laughs> from the secondary, but the owner was in that meeting, and he was like, "Hey, why don't you come join me in starting this new company? It's an MSP." He was acquiring an MSP and he was like, I want you to help lead this team um, on the sales side because he's like, you just don't have the personality, which says IT. And he's like, I know this other guy. And he kind of told me this story of his friend. And he was like, he was a software developer. He ended up being a sales leader. And then he was a business owner. And now he's their partners. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, why don't you just skip some of the software side and just go to sales because you have the ability. And I was like, Okay, so I jumped into sales because I thought it would be fun. Uh, did that for a while in the MSP space and got to know about a lot about a lot of different companies. Um, moved into technical account management because that's where I just seemed to thrive the most, which was operating basically as an IT 
manager all the way up to a virtual CIO is what they would call it uh, for organizations, kind of planning their roadmaps and technology systems and uh, coordinating with their internal IT staff and departments and things like that, um, which landed me into my job today because that was one of my customers was a Centium at the time. And they liked what I was doing. And they were like, hey, can you just come work for us full time because we like what you do? Uh, so that's how I ended up where I'm at today. Um, I highly, highly encourage for if you are willing to suffer <laughs> uh, and go into the MSP space, uh, most MSPs are terrible. I'll say that because I, and I'll say that because I don't know businesses and MSPs that are integrated well enough for them to be successful. Unless there's an internal staff and it's kind of a co-managed environment, meaning the MSP is treated like a project and technical resource. Um, but if they are leading the IT department of an organization, oftentimes it's not going to be effective because that MSP is not in the meetings with all the business leaders of the organization. So the alignment isn't really there, even though from a theoretical standpoint, it could be, it's often not. Um, but if you're willing to you know, take the lashes, I think you will garner a lot of experience from the MSP space. Um, I think it's great. And depending on you know, the employer, it can be a really great opportunity. Um, so it's kind of a mixed bag. I, don't, I would recommend it because I did it. I enjoyed my company that I worked for and uh, really liked the team there. And because the leaders were so great, I was able to excel. But if they were not great leaders, I don't think I would have had the same experience. And I probably would have left before I ended up where I'm at today. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. And then the um, uh, lots of fun in, in the middle of all of the things that you're, you're talking about. The uh, the fact that you were doing some of this programming in, in high school. So some of that introduction mm -hmm. was just happened through schooling. Where, mm -hmm. you know, for me, it was more of a defined path that I had to put myself on versus um, just the incidental stuff. It, uh, I think we're in different generations. The color of my beard compared to the color of your beard tells me <laughs> that. <laughs> um, so, oh, wow. Is there is there anything you want to promote? Is there anything for you that, that you're proud of that you want to share with the world that you want people to look at, um, you know, projects, um, personal things that uh, a podcast, say, <laughs> like dissecting oh. popular <laughs> IT nerds, uh, you know? Uh, nothing yet. I mean, I have ideas. I've always wanted to do my own podcast sometime in the future. I think this is a ton of fun. Um, I have a business idea I want to start. Uh, I've got all sorts of things, but no, nothing really for me to promote. I, I will do a shout out. There is one, um, it's called simplifyingprocesses.com. And that is, I think, the best blog I've ever met or ever read uh, around business process management. Um, highly recommend it. And if you ever want to bring the guy who writes it on board, he does not come from IT. That's not his background. Uh, he's more of a business leader. But uh, yeah, just a really great blog for anyone looking to get into business process management. And I would highly encourage reading uh, The Phoenix Project. But, but that's, I think, for the benefit of the readers, nothing from my perspective. Um, if anyone wants to reach out to me on LinkedIn, um, feel free to. I'm always happy to have a conversation. Uh, I tend to tell 
My team members treat me as their IT therapist. I love hearing them complain so I can look for solutions for them. Uh, But I think that's just a personality bent of mine. I love helping people. I have been beyond blessed by the people in my life that have, you know, uh, provided me resources or mentorship or help. Um, If there's any way I can do that with anyone listening to, you know, this podcast or anyone that reaches out to me, I love doing it. Um, because I've been built up by the community around me, regardless of how you know sparse that may have been, or not as connected, if that makes sense. It's not like they all come from the same town or something. Um, but I've been built up by the people around me, and that's the only reason why I think I'm at the place I am today. And so, if there's an opportunity that I get to you know build into somebody else or advise or help, uh, I'd love to do that. Awesome. Well, that is definitely appreciated. I know it's part of the goal that we have with Dissecting Popular IT Nerds is to help help those that are following behind us learn how to um, get out from the, the back room and join the... Um, the f- oh, man. I, I, I'm going to put my foot in my mouth and, and join those with person personalities. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I didn't say it, guys. That, that did no, not come from no, me. That, all me, all me, <laughs> but but to help change that perception, you know, I I I grew up in that generation where it was um oh God, revenge of the nerds, you know, and and that that's what nerds were, and and sure. the the ideal of what a nerd is for your generation and the ones and the main characters following you, um, it's a completely different definition, and and we're a completely <laughs> different group, but. There's um, solving problems, man. I, I love solving those problems, whatever they happen to be. So it's that that puzzle. Give me that challenge, um, whether it's helping somebody with um, something in their personal life or, or achieving a goal towards work or learning or, you know, trying to fix that process or, or create that that thing for, for work. Um, it's amazing how much technology is in everything today. I mean, oh, yeah. I, I look across our organization and there is not one job that is not affected by the things that, that I'm responsible for in one way or another. Um, and, and some days that's daunting. Some days it's encouraging. And other days it's just like, you guys want what? <laughs> yep. But yep. it's been a great conversation, Tony. The, the hour has flown by. Um, thank you so much. And, and let's. What was that? That simplifyingprocesses.com. Yeah, it's just that simplifyingprocesses.com. Um, I think the person that writes that, his name is Matt Spears. Uh, he works at a company called Nintex, which is a business process management company. Um, I think he's been there for about six years. He's he's their I think lead solutions architect or something like that. Uh, he's got really great concepts. Highly recommend following his stuff. Um, and just want to say thank you to Matt himself. He's helped me a lot uh, in a lot of trying to understand business process management and how to implement it in my company. Right on. And it's such an important subject for all of us because it, as you've stated, man, it, it's not just about um, IT, but it's it's about business. And mm-hmm. and if if we're not providing value, then what are we here for? Um, yeah. And, you know, what's the goal? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Funny. Yeah. I, I will say one in. last thing. Uh, one, one last thing I would say is 
I would argue that business, you, I would say that business and finances go together like a marriage, right? That they are in their interconnected in a way that you can never separate them. And I would say that that has become true for IT uh, today. It, IT is the gas to the business that is a car. So I, the businesses can't move forward without IT. And if you aren't understanding how you're propelling your business forward, or really if you're not understanding where the car is going and how it's trying to get there, you're not going to be a good fuel for the organization to accomplish what it needs. And if you can do that well, you're going to succeed and surpass all of your peers because you'll have something that they don't, which is context. Yeah. And you reminded me of something else. You were talking about that that law when trying to guess how long something was going to take. And the only thing that came to my mind, and I believe that I'm right when I say this, the Heisenberg principle. And, you know, the more I know about where I'm at, the less I know about where I'm going. And the more I know about where I'm going, the less I know about where I'm at. So, I, I mean, trying to figure out where I'm going to be in two weeks is, it's, I have to know where I am today. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. it's, oh man. Well, thanks again, Tony. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. <laughs>